It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, disgraced MP Matt Hancock flees to the jungle to become a reality star. Should the man who failed to protect our elderly through a deadly pandemic now be allowed to profit from his infamy? Train drivers, dockers, postal workers, barristers, even coffin makers. As Britain is paralysed by strikes, I'll talk to the union boss holding the country to ransom. After the shocking attack on US Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, I'm joined by the tough-on-crime senator who could challenge Donald Trump for the presidential nomination. Live from London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Britain's had its fair share of failed politicians lately. Boris Johnson lied more often than he tried. Our last Prime Minister, Liz Truss, had the shelf life of a lettuce. And Theresa May's legacy, if only we could remember it, would fit very neatly onto a postage stamp. But few politicians in modern history have failed harder and more often than Matt Hancock. This attention-seeking, perma-grinning gopher of a man is about to appear on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. That means he'll spend several weeks in a jungle in Australia, pocketing a massive fee on top of his MP's salary, eating kangaroo testicles for public delectation. I never thought I'd say this, but I actually feel sorry for the kangaroo testicles. I spent six years as a judge on Britain and America's Got Talent, so another thing or two about entertainment TV and talent. And it got me thinking, why would they choose Matt Hancock? What are his special talents? Maybe, maybe it's singing. No, for the love of God, do stop him now. He's not a singer. What about acting? Look very carefully here. Look for tears. Just simple words there, reacting it. You're quite emotional about that. Well, it's just, uh, it's been, you know, it's been such a tough year for so many people and there's William Shakespeare putting it so simply for everybody that, you know, we can get on with our lives and... Yeah, not a single tear, was there? I've seen more emotion from the waxworks at Madame Tussauds. Matt's also a budding text whiz. Earlier this year, he became the first MP to enter the metaverse with his digital imagining of himself, bringing a whole new level of meaning to Instagram versus reality. So finally, what about his actual core skill? The one thing we know that he is supposed to be competent at, being a politician, the thing he's paid to do. Well, he was forced out as health secretary for snogging and groping his advisor during a lockdown, breaking his own lockdown rules. And before that, as health secretary during the pandemic, he said he was doing this to protect nursing homes. So right from the start, we've tried to throw a protective ring around our care homes. Well, we absolutely did uh, throw a protective ring around social care. We'll keep working to strengthen the protective ring that we've cast around all our care homes. Absolute nonsense. There was no protective ring. Quite the opposite. 
Hancock sent thousands of elderly patients from hospitals back to their nursing homes without testing them. That led to COVID spreading the wildfire inside those homes, causing countless more deaths than should ever have been allowed to happen. It was a deadly fiasco of a policy from a travesty of a health secretary with tragic consequences for thousands of families. I may shock you now, Mr Hancock, because I'm actually glad you're going to a remote, tarantula-infested jungle on the opposite side of the world. On behalf of the entire British public, I think I'm safe in saying, I hope you stay there. Well, joining me now to discuss this is former Liberal Democrat MP Lembit Opik, who also went into I'm a Celebrity, and the former Conservative Minister Anne Whittacombe, who I presume would rather shoot herself than go into the jungle, although she did compete here strictly and extremely capably on the dance floor, I might add. We're also joined by care home owner David Crabtree. Now, 16 of his residents died in the first wave of the pandemic. Uh, well, welcome to all of you. I want to start with you, David Crabtree, because I remember interviewing you at the height of, of the pandemic when so many people were dying. And you gave such a heartfelt uh, and agonised interview in many ways about uh, the appalling situation in care homes. When you heard that Matt Hancock is going into the I'm a celebrity jungle uh, while you're still an MP, what was your view? Before I, I, I comment on that, uh, Piers, can I thank you personally for being the lone voice in early 2020 for social care workers and social care residents. There was no one more shouting for us. As to Mr Hancock, it's the last pitiful act of a pathetic, lying man. Uh, there was no ring, no protection for us. What's emotional is that when somebody brings this up again, it brings back all the things that you, you, you sort of put to the back of your mind. We only, this month, were able to have a memorial for those who died in 2020, simply because relatives weren't allowed to go to their funerals, we weren't allowed to see the relatives. So for two years, we've never seen those families again. So we've just been able to sort of at least bring that to a conclusion. But as to Mr Hancock, he lied. There is no two ways about this. He lied. 850 social care workers died on top of thousands of elderly. They were collateral damage. Someone, with his permission, gave the uh, hospitals the report to say you can discharge and the, with, uh, without a, a, a negative test. They do not need to be negative to discharge. They discharged two to us uh, within the first week of March and both died and subsequently a further seven died as a result of those discharges directly. This man oversaw, this is, this is Blair's Iraq, this is Hancock's uh, death of elderly. He is solely responsible for it. I'm still angry about no, I can what tell. that man did. I can tell. And you know, you know what angers me about all this? Is that while some people have been sort of laughing about this you know, extraordinary twist to his career, it, it emerged today, he's also been taking part in the celebrity uh, SAS show on Channel 4. He's already filmed that. He's also written a book of his pandemic diaries, which I'm sure will be an attempt to gloss over any of his culpability, because it wasn't just about care homes. He also failed and lied to the public about testing. He massaged those figures about the number of tests that were being done, and we held him to account for that. I thought our open border policy was a complete disaster, and he was partly responsible for that as well as health secretary. We had no PPE, so hundreds and hundreds of health and care workers died in their workplace because they weren't properly protected. This, this first wave of the pandemic in our country was a complete disaster. And it's completely true to say that later, 
we did well with vaccines. But that first wave was a disaster. And the health secretary presiding over this was Matt Hancock. And for him to now, before there's even been a proper inquiry into what happened and what culpability he may actually be proven to have had, for him to now go into an, a, a reality show in a jungle in the way that he's doing for hundreds of thousands of pounds, I think is an absolute smack in the face, particularly to people like you, who had to go through so much uh, appalling trauma, losing all these people in your homes. And I know other people. I have friends of mine who lost their parents in care homes uh, and had to have a last conversation on FaceTime. You know, I just think it's an appalling smack in the face to them. And, and the idea he's still an MP, receiving an MP salary, is completely disgraceful. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't know whether this is to pay the divorce settlements or what it's supposed to do. But in the end, he, he should have... All he had to do was, was say that we, we couldn't do it or there was some reason that they couldn't do it. But instead, contracts were awarded for PPE that were no use to us. We couldn't get them. More importantly, they were discharging elderly people to hope back to home where home care workers were going in without PPE, without the knowledge that, they had, that the resident had COVID. He put at risk millions of people. Mm and then denied it and, and had the blatancy to stand there and say he had put a ring of protection around us. Not once, but several times. Yeah, yeah. The man needs to be held account. Yeah, I agree. Uh, David, it's good to talk to you. I, I wish it was always in better circumstances, but I love your passion. I love the, how much you care about what happened in your care homes, and it's good to catch up with you. And I'm just sorry, again, it's for the wrong reasons, but I, I look forward to talking to you perhaps on a happier occasion. Thank you. Let's bring in... I mean, Anne, yeah. I, I don't know what you think. To me, the idea of, of an MP, particularly one who's been disgraced, who's lost his ministerial position because he was breaking his own lockdown rules whilst having an affair and was caught doing it by, uh, by a newspaper, that had also presided over a, a shambolic first wave of this pandemic by any yardstick... There's been no inquiry yet which has cleared him, as he presumably hopes it might do, but I don't think it will... You put all this in totality, and he's now getting hundreds of thousands of pounds to go into a jungle and prance about with celebrities. What do you make of it? Well, what I would say is this, that even without all those horrendous circumstances, no serving MP should go on a reality show which takes them away from their constituency and from the House of Commons, where they're paid to vote, uh, it takes them away for weeks on end. Mm. I mean, you know, weekend here, a weekend, that's different. Weeks on end. Uh, and that is why I turned down Strictly for five years running. I mm. said no. As soon as I retired, I said yes, because right. I wanted to do it. But I wasn't going to do it while I was an MP. And it's not only time, there's something else, Piers, dignity. Mm. You do actually have a duty of dignity to the office while you're an MP. And there's nothing dignified about the job. Well, well, OK, then, but, but what about his constituents? Right. This well, guy has already yeah, heaped yeah, embarrassment yeah. onto his constituency. Right, he's managed to hang on as an MP, uh, but this is, a, as I say, not just I'm a celebrity. He's managed to find time to write a book of diaries. He's managed to find time to do this SAS show on Channel Four. Now he's going in the jungle. When is he finding any time to do the job he's actually paid to do on a daily basis, which serve the constituents? Right, direct answer to that question: that is a matter for his constituents at the next election. 
And I've got experience of this. I may or may not have lost my seat in 2010. Why isn't it a matter for me as a taxpayer but, well, it, who it, pays his salary? You can have an opinion, but we have a democratic mm. system here. Just as in 2010, Montgomery should have decided they didn't want me anymore for whatever reason. So also, his constituents in our democratic system mm. can make the judgment. Now, I know Anne's position and I respect it. I hold a different view here. You've just heard what sounds like a tragic performance as a cabinet minister, that's different to the principle which Anne rightly raises about whether you should be able to do these extended uh, programmes on uh, reality TV. Now, surely no one disagrees with the principle of a politician doing a reality show. Have I got news for you? It's a comedy show. Vince Cable, very popular politician, did do a little bit of dancing. Yeah, hang on, the whole hang on, thing. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Have I got yeah. news for you? It's a three-hour taping that's on a right. Thursday night. Right, this right. guy is disappearing off for weeks yeah. to Australia. Yeah. Right, when when we're in the middle of a crushing cost of living crisis. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I'm in the flaming yeah. I mean, brass neck of the weeks. man. Could be four weeks. Yeah, okay. the, the brass right. neck okay. of it. All right. So the first point. He's being paid by us, the taxpayer, yeah. not to not to go and eat who, kangaroo who testicles. Who is going to cope? No, no. Let me ask you this, Lambert. Who is going to cope? If there is an emergency in his constituency or a constituent has an emergency, where does that constituent go? Yeah, I work on the assumption that if there's... I, and I don't know this, but I've been told this by second-hand authority, mm. that there is some clause which says if there's an emergency of a sufficiently serious nature, which is a judgment call, he would... Well, sorry, there is. It's called the cost of living All crisis. All right, oh, well, hold on. The, the, right, the... Millions of people in this country right. are currently facing a winter of hunger, yeah. you know, of freezing cold. Let, 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 We've got pensioners on, going on, on buses on, to be on, warm. Piers, Piers, because I, I do have experience of this. Let me just ask you this. A constituent gets in touch mm. with the MP because the electricity is about to be cut mm. off, they've got kids in the house. This has happened. And, and it probably happened mm. with you as well. Mm. And when that sort of thing happens, you need the MP. His staff don't have the clout. Right, right. two, two well, points. No, I'm not saying you on TV earlier, then, but I'm not being... Right. Look, I, I, we've I'm always trying to well. answer your question. I know, but you're trying to defend the indefensible. You, you don't know what I'm going to say Well, yet, I do you? know what you said earlier on television. Right, I watched the interview. Go on. You compared him to Winston Churchill. Oh, come no, on. That's... You said Winston oh, Churchill also made you mistakes and came back and won us the war. Winston Churchill. Do you think Winston Churchill would go into a jungle with a bunch of Z-list celebrities and munch kangaroos? Root testicles right. well, in a vote by the public. I was one of those that that's listed. Yes, exactly. But I wasn't no an offense, MP admittedly. But yes. Second, right. First, you're no Winston Churchill either. First right? point, but I've, I've never pretended to be. First point that let's recognise: no one here, on the three of us, is denying that you could do reality shows. You're arguing about the length of time yes. away. Yes. So yes. let's move straight to that second point that Anne's raised. If you're on holiday with your family as an MP, the same situation can arise. Does and that mean the, that the MP has you can pick to up fly the back? Phone. Okay. You can pick up right. the so, phone. So it's not about physically being He's present. He's not on holiday. Parliament's not in recess. He doesn't have a phone well, in look, the jungle. Parliament's not in recess. Okay. He's not on holiday. All right, but well, uh, let's but, remember but, that. But, but you can pick up the phone if you're on holiday. I've had to do that as right. well. Okay. Some MPs have had to come so back it's, from their holidays. So, number one, it's not about whether you do reality shows. It's, it's the length of time. Number two, it's not about being physically present, as Anne's just said. So it's the third question. Is it it's enough of a... Well, actually, he has, he has, has, because he can't be contacted. Is it enough of an obstruction? You don't have phones in the jungle. You can't vote remotely. Is that enough of an obstruction to say that no politicians should do that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. Yes. I don't agree, and here's why. Why not? Why. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you, most things 
that do turn up in your surgery are handled de facto. Certainly, for me, this was Sorry, the case. I don't by pay, my staff. Me, I, don't by pay my my staff. I don't pay my taxes to see mem serving members of Parliament go on jollies to Australia. Wait a minute. In I'm a away from my boy George. Sorry, I'm away from my answer. How do you vote from the jungle when there's a big issue in Parliament? Yeah. How do you right. vote? How does he, he vote? Well, I don't know if he's got a pairing circumstance. Well, he can't vote now. He's had the whip yeah. taken away, but right? They could oh, be, he can still vote. Yeah, to, he can well, still vote? Yeah, but having So explain that for me. If you have the whip taken away then, you can still you're vote. not expelled from so Parliament. what's the punishment, really? Uh, well, if, if you have the whip withdrawn, what it means is you're no longer regarded as a member of the party. But you can still vote in Parliament as an individual. So where, why is he not going to be voting, then? Well, obviously, because he's not physically there. He's Correct. Made that so judgment. you said he, he doesn't need to be physically let, there. Let, he let's, does. Let's get to the core point here. You listed all the things he's doing. My guess is he's trying to change his career. He may not stand at the next election. I think he's ending his well, career. Well, maybe so. I said it was going to happen. Maybe the that's his judgment they're going to make him do the worst possible yeah. challenges and then very quickly yeah. boot him up. Maybe so, but think about it this way, right? You're mixing up his performance as a cabinet minister with the principle of whether any politician... No, I'm not. Go I'm actually, that, no, I'm actually, saying, that, I'm actually saying both to me are disqualifying, right? One, he was the health secretary... But they're two different things. He was the health secretary without... Well, I'm explaining to you why both matter, right? On one count, he was the health secretary presided over the worst imaginable pandemic conduct by government I've seen, which is why we had the worst overall death toll in Europe in terms of total number killed, mostly in the first wave. One, he should be held accountable for that before he jollies off to some jungle. And secondly, as a serving MP where we pay a salary, he should not be doing this. But, all right, on the first point, we can now pass judgment about uh, Matt Hancock, perfectly legitimate political conversation to have, but it's separate to me separate to the point that okay. Anne's raised, where I disagree, but I respect but your you position, about whether question. you can go on an extended reality TV show. The question is, how does he vote, which is his constitutional duty as a member of... How does he it's vote? It's not his constitutional vote? duty. Of course it is. There is no, why is he an MP? There is it, no why? job description he's not for a member of parliament. He's not going to serve his constituents. It's not a constitutional duty. And he's not going to vote. vote. It is a constitutional Let me ask you, did you vote on every single vote? Were you there on Fridays for a German debate? I was frequently every, there on a yeah, Friday, but, and but the German debates don't have a vote. But you missed... Not the German debates, sorry. Thing about I it, private the worst thing about it is, I think he waited. There was a, 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 an absolutely cringe-making clip of Rishi Sunak celebrating becoming prime minister. I don't know if we've got it, and it's the one where he basically goes past, and this is this happens. We've got it. Okay. And you know what? All right, he completely deliberately shuns Hancock there, but what? the reality is, of you see he, what you want to see. No, he does. I, I, I know, I know Rishi Sunak, trust me. He saw him oh, there well, and decided to blank him. So, but the point being, though, if, if he hadn't, if he'd embraced Hancock and given him a new job, Hancock would have immediately abandoned all plans to go oh, to the jungle. So, so oh, why should he not be pragmatic about his future peers? Why doesn't You've he be made honest? Decisions. Why doesn't he be We've honest and stand down as an MP? He's got two more years for an election. What's dishonest about him making that judgment? Back to my original point, Sorry. which you haven't answered. Look, why don't you leave go, it to his can, constituents can, to make to be this clear, judgment? He, That's how democracy be, works in this be, country. I'll tell you how democracy works in this country. We elect members of parliament. We, the taxpayers, pay their salaries, and the very least we expect is they serve their constituents and they turn up and vote, yeah. neither of which he can do for up to four weeks in Australia while he's on this ridiculous vanity exercise of assuming the British public will suddenly warm to his creepy little self and vote for him. They're not. They're going to vote for him to do despicable things and then kick him out. But, but as Anne said, as Anne admitted and I admit, we didn't make it for every single vote. A good, a good Wait, percentage yeah, is about 60%. Weeks. He's made four a judgment. Weeks, he's made, I'll tell you the judgment the he's made. 
to be, like he's made many times actually in the last few years, to be utterly self-serving, to do what he thinks is best for Matt Hancock, not anybody else. And the result is a slap in the teeth to the British taxpayers at a moment when millions of them are facing the worst cost-living crisis of, yeah. their, of their lifetime. Piers, hang on. Last word to you, Anne. Yes, you've said we didn't all attend every single vote. That is quite true. But we all took judgments on the votes we attended. And let me give you an example. When I was actually moving house, that was the night there was a vote on post offices, I actually got assistance to move the house while I went to the vote on post offices. If there's a big vote while he's in the jungle, what does he do? Yeah. Well, Stays in the he's, jungle. He's Look, miss- I've got to leave it there. Look, I... In a way, Limit, you're the perfect example of why you shouldn't be doing this, because your political career could have been restored, you could have actually rebuilt your career, and you were a very capable politician. Oh. But the moment you see munching the old kangaroo nuts, Nadine it's over. Doris, Nadine it's Doris, Doris. Nadine Doris did it. And She's never the... recovered either. She did oh, pretty she, oh, yeah, well. She, come, yeah, on. come on, she got into the cabinet. She, she, she didn't even read an autocue on this she show. She went to the cabinet. <laughs> I've got to leave here. <laughs> no, uh, thank cabin. you for yeah. coming in. I nice appreciate it. Good to see you both. Well, coming next, uh, train drivers, doctors, postal workers, barristers, nurses, teachers, uh, coffin workers. Just about everybody in Britain appears to be wanting to go out and strike. And I'll talk to Britain's top union boss, who is presiding over this mayhem. And from the firebomb attack on the UK migrant centre, the shocking hammer assault on the US Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, is political violence on the rise and what's behind it. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. The biggest rail strikes in decades have caused recurring chaos for communities across Britain. Several more are planned beginning this weekend. This year has already seen walkouts by postal workers, dock workers, airport staff, bin collectors, barristers, bus drivers, even coffin makers, teachers, nurses and doctors. Could be an ex-college ambulance staff voted to strike early today. So are Britain's newly boisterous unions testing the resolve of a penny-pinching government or are they just annoying and aggravating the patience of working people who are just as squeezed as they are. Well, joining me now is General Secretary of the Trade Union Congress, Francis O'Grady. Well, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, First of all, your reaction to Matt Hancock choosing to take hundreds of thousands of pounds as a serving MP to fly all the way across the world to Australia to munch kangaroo testicles? Well, uh, I think probably pretty similar to yours, Piers, in that, frankly, if anybody else in a job walked off the job to moonlight and get paid they'd be a huge amount, they'd, they'd have no chance. So should he, should he basically no be, should he be out as an MP? Well, to be honest, I think there are many people, many working people who'd like to see the whole lot of them go off to the jungle. And right, but on this specific point, now. should Matt Hancock be kicked out as an MP? I, I think people are right to question how does he stay in his job when any other ordinary person... Right, so he should be fine. I'd like to see him fired, whatever the democratic process is. Mm. But surely, I mean, this this is the man I heard you talking before, not only promised this protective ring, mm. frankly, he should be preparing his defence yeah, for the absolutely. public inquiry. He should be with lawyers. But, but it was... Those social care workers were not only wrapping themselves in bin bags, mm. most of them earn less than £10 an hour and a huge numbers of them are on zero-hours contracts. Yeah. That's why they were moving of around course. between different homes, unwittingly spreading the virus. And, and he let all the elderly in hospitals go back to care homes without being tested. And meanwhile, <laughs> PPE contracts yeah. and other contracts were being handed to mates. Yeah, people who we knew from the local pub. Um, let's turn to you. Because you're, I mean, depending on who you talk to, people are either supportive of what you're doing, presiding over all these strikes, or they think you're as annoying as Matt Hancock. Because a lot of ordinary people's lives 
are being directly impacted in a negative way at an incredibly difficult time by this blizzard of strike action. Yeah, and what I'm very clear about is I have not met a single worker who's voted for strike action lightly. You lose pay, it's the last resort. Any trade unionist wants the employer to get around the table and negotiate a fair deal. But one of the reasons why we've had unprecedented public support for these strikes is that all working people are facing the same cost of living crisis. And this isn't just this year, this has been 10 years of stagnating pay and real pay cuts nurses thousands of pounds worse off than they were 10 years ago paramedics teachers people have just hit the limit i mean one person like being all right look i hear you but one person doesn't done uh, nearly as badly as that has done rather well is you francis o'grady you gave yourself pay rises of eighteen thousand uh, pounds since 2013 that was just to 2018. well i haven't had a pay your, rise for the last four years right, but your gross salary is one hundred and twelve thousand pounds a year and the total package one hundred and sixty-seven thousand pounds a year um, I mean, forgive me for thinking, you're in the top 3% of earners. Your package is equivalent to 22 times the average amount for a recipient of universal credit. Do you feel comfortable about that? I'm a trade unionist. I believe that people should get paid the rate for the job. I think you should get paid the rate for the mm. job. I don't know what you're on, but I'm leading an organisation that represents nearly no, I, I, I million workers. I, I understand that, but do you think that you should be getting 22 times the average recipient of universal credit? Does that well, seem fair to you? In the TUC, the pay ratio, bottom to top, is one to five. I'm getting paid, I think, a fair rate for the job. But most of all... I'm Who's the lowest paid person in the TUC? Uh, we directly employ all our staff, so... Who's our, the lowest? The cleaners. What would they get? They get more than the London living wage. So what would they get? Well, more You're than the, the London living You're wage. What does your, your lowest earning employee get? Um, we're... It's... We only have one employee on less than £15 an hour. So you've got an employee on less than £15 an hour. Yeah. You're raking yeah. in 167 grand. It's not bad, is it? You see well, my point? I mean, my point is package, you're, you're talking you? a lot about how much you care about people's pay packets as well. All these strikes are necessary. And yet there's a gap of somebody on your staff earning under £15 an if hour. You look at the and average, you're, you're hovering up 167 grand. If you grand. look at the average CEO, as you full well know, yeah. and if you look at bonuses... Yeah, but they're the not city, all CEOs running trades unions, three and right? Three and a half million yeah, but you're in charge of the trades unions. Wouldn't Absolutely. it be a great gesture to say... Wouldn't it be great to say, you know what, I'm actually going to set an example and half my salary... But I tell you what, Piers, let's give, talk about And give about that to some of the people earning people under £15, really 15 pounds an hour at the TUC. Is why are the four biggest banks in Britain making £33 billion worth of profit and the government is lifting the cap on bonuses? I, I agree bonuses. with you. I agree with you. Why is I also the, agree why that is the they should be whacking the energy companies more. Some, of these, the some of these profits being announced by BP and others today. Absolutely. Absolutely disgraceful. Top pay, boardroom yes. pay. Let's talk about the real issues and why it is that we're going to have thousands so of workers... So why don't you target them? Thousands of workers right. in Westminster Francis, tomorrow lobbying the government and saying... I know. We've... Hit the limit. And, that, and by the way, I agree with more. you lobbying the government. I agree with you going after the bankers over this ridiculous decision to release the cap on their bonuses. It was the bonuses that got us into the, yep. the 2008-9 financial crash. I agree with you going after energy companies, right? Exactly what we should be doing. What I don't agree with is this unbelievable ripple effect of strikes, which is now really... 
destabilising the country but at a worst possible time. who created the black hole in our finances? Well, Liz, Liz, Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng. So, but why make life even more difficult people for people already suffering, is my point. Inflation is running at over 10%. RPI is a lot higher if you take into so you, account mortgages. So how can we afford so How can we afford the government to give everybody wacky pay rises? They caused the crisis. I know. And it's about time they made the wealthy and big business pay their fair I don't share. disagree with you. But, and that... But surely that you're not expecting even, everybody even to be... Are you expecting everyone that you represent in totality to get enough money to cover the, the inflation? Do you know what, Piers? Yes? If you equalised capital gains tax with income tax, mm. that would cover an entire pay rise for the entire public sector. do you want them sector? all to be paid in line with inflation? That would cover it. Right. That would cover it. Do you it. want everyone to get a 10%? If, if we were more ambitious, bolder, in, on the windfall tax on greedy energy companies, if we did something about those four big banks, £33 billion. <laughs> Think what difference that would make. I mean, some, would people would, some people would say, hole. again... Well, it's all very well come from you, Fraser Grady. 167 grand. I don't You're like so. one of the greedy That's bankers the whole yourself. Package. Uh, huh? They're on a hell of a lot more than that, Piers, as, and I'm sure you are too. It, it was a very but nice the, package, isn't it? You know, I'm representing the. You're not six embarrassed by that, seriously, as a head no, of the TUC? Because I believe you be in the rate for the less? job. I believe in the rate for the job, and that's what nurses, teachers. When you get even more than Matt Social Hancock. care workers. What? On the jungle? I don't think so. I think he's on a bit more than that. But the point at this, I mean, that, I think you're being a bit trivial here because the point I is... I don't think your salary is trivial. millions of workers who deserve a pay I understand that, and I agree that with that. at least keeps up with inflation. Sure. And that's why but you also, as you've said to me, difficult decision I know, to strike. But you've also said to me you have one of your own employees on less than 15 quid well, an hour. Only one. Well, what about and taking some of your 167 up. grand and bumping them up What a bit? about the government? What about you doing what you want the government to do and be fair... To your poor employee we, who's earning under 15, 15 quid an we, hour. We are very fair. I think we. we you have think the that's best fair? Paying, best Do you feel comfortable? Really? Yes. We. we Come on, Francis. Fairly. Why don't you give that employee a little bit of your dough? Why don't you talk about Set an the example. Government. I've decided today, Francis O'Grady, that the best way to show the government you've got to spread the money around is I'm going to spread some of my vast fortune myself. I think we have a much lower ratio, top to bottom, than any other organisation. 167 grand to 15 quid an hour? Yes. And I, wow. Well, really? It's one to five. It's I think, pretty, I, I think, mean, that's. We're I talking think we'll find now. That most CEOs I mean, are earning. I've hardly got arms big enough for that Pete, gap. How much more do you earn than the cleaners? I'm here? not the head of the TUC. No, but if we've got a sense of. Fairness, I'm not demanding that everyone goes I'm not on strike. That I'm not out there causing the mayhem with me. shutting down railways and but everything will, else. Here, here you go, Piers. Will you support our Westminster lobby? Tell you what tomorrow? I'll do. Tell you what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. I will personally match pound for pound. Every pound from your salary you give the poor person at the TUC earning under You're 15 quid an hour. I'm tempted. I will match it, pound <laughs> for pound. Deal? I'm tempted. We'll, deal? Talk, we'll talk about that. OK, we have a deal. Francis <laughs> Brady, thank you very thank much. You. Well, coming up next, President Biden says there's too much hatred and too much political violence in America. Is he right? And if so, who is to blame? I'll be asking the man who could challenge Donald Trump for the presidential nomination. And to stop oil strikes again, you know what? I'm sick of them as well. Why don't we just shut up about them? Look at them. Childish little toddlers throwing tantrums. Come and do it in my studio. Go on, see how you get on then.
Welcome back to Baseball Got Sense. A 42-year-old US man has been charged with attempting to kidnap Nancy Pelosi, the third most senior politician in America. David Abape raided the Speaker's home in San Francisco and attacked her 82-year-old husband with a hammer. His motive is yet to be disclosed, but police say it wasn't random. It comes just months after an alleged assassination attempt on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, raising fresh concerns about political violence in an already very polarised country. President Biden today condemned the attack. The chant was, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Enough is enough is enough. Every person of good conscience needs to clearly and unambiguously stand up against the violence in our politics, regardless what your politics are. Well, joining me now, the Republican Senator for Arkansas, Tom Cotton. Uh, Senator, thank you very much indeed for joining me. I appreciate it. What was your reaction to what uh, President Biden said there? Well, first off, I, I condemn the violent attack on Paul Pelosi. I wish him well. I hope he has a full recovery. We should throw the book uh, at his assailant, just like we should throw the book at all violent criminals, not, those who not just those who commit crimes against the powerful and the wealthy, but people who are pushing New Yorkers in front of subway trains or, or ca committing carjackings uh, or committing murders. Too often, we have gone soft on crime in this country in recent years, and I think that's contributed to the crime way we've had. But if Joe Biden wants to be serious about political violence, why didn't he have his own Department of Justice enforce the law this summer when you had left-wing agitators protesting in front of Supreme Court justices' homes in direct violation of federal law, which culminated with a deranged left-wing hitman traveling from California trying to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. I condemn that just as strongly and think we should throw the book at him as well. Well, I, listen, no I, I don't disagree with you. I, I would agree with you about that. I suppose my, my question would be, what, should we throw the book also at people who are political, uh, either politicians or, you know, budding politicians, have big public profiles, who make a mockery of incidents like the appalling attack on Paul Pelosi. Would you, would you throw the book at them as well? <laughs> well, their words, though unwise and unhelpful to healthy debate, are protected by the First Amendment. Um, look, there's a lot of heated rhetoric in campaign, but pointing out that Nancy Pelosi passed Obamacare 12 years ago or has spent trillions of dollars we don't have and contributed this inflation has no bearing whatsoever on this violence. Well, I wasn't actually referring to that. I was actually referring to this, this well, two clips, actually. One is the Arizona governor candidate, uh, Carrie Lake, who said this in response to what happened. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. <laughs> I mean, hearing an audience laugh out loud at such a crass comment. You must share my horror at that, don't you? Well, Piers, uh, again, rhetoric on the campaign trail that, it, that may be tough uh, does not contribute to this kind of violence. It's, if anything, what you heard there, what you've heard from Republicans about Nancy Pelosi, pales in contrast, say, what Chuck Schumer said on the steps of the Supreme Court, that Brett Kavanaugh wouldn't know what hit him if he issued rulings that Chuck Schumer Yeah, listen, I don't... With. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not for a moment defending anything else that you've been talking about, and I think they've all been appalling incidents. But, for instance, Donald Trump Jr. put a Halloween tweet out, which he then deleted, which said this. This is a picture, as you can see there, of a hammer on a pair of underpants, and Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, the internet remains undefeated, and if you switch out the hammer for a red feather boa, you could be Hunter Biden in an instant. Now, again, I would simply say that if you're going to, you know, say that we've got to throw people 
out for bad behaviour, bad commentary, bad whatever. These are just, to me, extraordinarily crass things to be doing in the light of an elderly man who, who happens to be the husband of the United States Speaker, uh, who was nearly killed in this attack, from all accounts. This is not a subject for humour, is it? Well, Piers, I can, I can only tell you what I think it is. I think it's a heinous attack, and we should be throwing the book at people who commit these violent acts, whether against Paul Pelosi or Brett Kavanaugh or just ordinary Americans. Something, may, something that politicians may say in the heat of the campaign, you could think it's crass or that it's poorly, poor judgment, but it's not the same as committing these acts of no, violence. No, no, listen, I'm not for a moment. I'm not for a moment saying it's the same. I just think it would be really helpful. I speak because I'm in a country right now, Britain, where two members of parliament have been murdered by crazy people in the last six years. And I'm extremely worried. As someone who has a house in, in America, spends a lot of time over there, loves the country, loves the people, I'm very worried that the temperature of political debate is reaching the kind of levels which we had here over Brexit and other incendiary issues, which caused crazy people to do crazy things to our politicians. And I don't want to see the next bit of news that we see in America being that an actual politician has been murdered by a crazy person because the rhetoric being hurled around by people and the lack of seriousness taken by political figures when these things happen as well, by the way, that all this, it doesn't help, does it? Isn't it time that everybody dialed things down? Well, Pierce, I think you can have tough campaigns, you can have spirited debates, but you can also be civil and respectful. Now, I think in many of these cases, unfortunately, like it would appear with the Paul Pelosi incident or Gabby Giffords incident uh, more than a decade ago, you're dealing with someone who has serious mental health issues as well, which raises a different set of public policy questions. But I, I think it's best that we have spirited debates, but debates that are respectful and civil and recognize that we're all Americans, or in your case, all British, and that we can have disagreements, that we can settle those disagreements through our rep, uh, repre elected representatives or at the ballot box. Yeah, I can endorse that. Um, now, Senator, you've got an extraordinary uh, background. You served in Iraq with the 101st Airborne Division and in Afghanistan with the Provincial Re uh, Reconstruction Team. Uh, between combat tools, you served with the 3rd Infantry Regiment, the Old Guard at Arlington National Cemetery, which I've been to, which is a remarkable place. Um, so a, a really uh, a commendable military career. And I wanted to ask you specifically about one part of what's going on in the world right now involving R Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what the recently deposed British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said today about the nuclear threat which Putin keeps making. I don't think he will. I, I think he'd be crazy to, to do so. What would happen is that he would immediately tender Russia's resignation from the Club of Civilised Nations. It would be a total disaster for his country. What did you make of that comment? Well, well I tend to agree with Boris. I know that Vladimir Putin has rattled the nuclear sabre. Uh, we've seen no indication of him taking any kind of steps to use nuclear weapons, nor can we allow the nuclear threat to allow him to blackmail the United States or blackmail the West. Uh, you know, I've got a new book out called Only the Strong, and I, I write about exactly this kind of threat throughout the Cold War. You know, Ronald Reagan took a very strong, assertive stance against Soviet Russian communism, even though the nuclear threat then was just as dangerous as it is, as it is now. Uh, we have to be strong, we have to be resolute in the defense of America's national interests. And as you saw time and time again with Ronald Reagan, that kind yeah. of strength and resolution didn't lead to nuclear war, it didn't lead to World War III, it led to victory and success in the Cold War. There are Republicans, it's quite interesting, I've just been in America actually, I went to New York, LA and talked to a lot of people. 
Republicans do seem a bit split about Ukraine and about how far America should be going to help the Ukrainians. Some Republicans bang up for it and think that they should be you know, giving him whatever he needs, President Zelensky, to win the war, recognising perhaps the wider threat to the, to the world, including America, if Putin was to win. But other, other Republicans, and I'm quite surprised about this, uh, have taken a view that it's not really in America's interest to get involved in this conflict at all. What's your view? Well, I think it is in our interest to support the Ukrainians fighting in their own war to defend their own territory. Uh, that's what we've been doing from the beginning. If we had done it earlier and if Joe Biden hadn't granted so many concessions to Vladimir Putin in 2021, I don't think he would have been tempted to go for the jugular in Ukraine in the first place. I, I go into great detail about this in Only the Strong. And when I'm traveling across Arkansas, when I'm traveling on the campaign trail across America, I, I hear that most Americans want to continue to support the Ukrainians who are fighting their own war. There is frustration. They don't think enough uh, European nations are doing their part. Now, there are some weapons that only America has that only we can provide. But when it comes to financial aid for the government in Ukraine, there's certainly a lot of nations in Europe that could be doing more to help pull their share of the load. Finally, uh, Senator, I was going to let you plug your book, but you've done that very comprehensively and very impressively, I must say, several times. I won't bother. Um, although I'm told it's a great read. Um, I do want to ask you, though, if, if, as is suspected, there's a red wave in the midterms next week, and I, I think it's pretty clear now that that is probably going to happen, there's going to be a lot of speculation about who will be the Republican candidate in the next general election in 2024, and your name is being thrown around with more gusto. Can you say definitively whether you would be interested in running to be president? Well, Piers, I appreciate the question. I think I'll keep my focus on the election that's just a few days away rather than the elections that two years away. But I will say this. Anyone running for president in the Republican Party who wants to help restore American strength and power in the world should get themselves a copy of Only the Strong and learn exactly how to do that. <laughs> You know what, if, if the presidential race is determined by somebody who can shoehorn the most mentions of their book title into one eight-minute interview, you, sir, are heading to the White House. Uh, Senator, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pierce. Well, coming next, it's World Vegan Day. Uh, always a day that I celebrate uh, with huge enthusiasm. Uh, and there are my pack, a clutching vegan sausage roll from Greg's, uh, one of my favourites. We'll be discussing that after the break. Welcome back. I'm joined by Talk TV contributors Esther Kraken and Paula Roan Adrian. And very sadly, they brought with them some sausage rolls, uh, one of which is a real one, which I will be eating for my supper later. And the other one is a Greg's vegan sausage roll, which remains as inedible as you could possibly imagine any food product to be. But it's World Vegan Day. If that rocks your boat, go and see a doctor, which is what most vegans, most vegans look like they need to. Um, welcome to my pack. I want to start with just something that's a bit of fun, but... It is a bizarre thing to happen. James Corden, who's been in the news a lot um, over his bust up in a restaurant, the owner giving Omelette him a whack. Omelette yeah. Gate, yeah. yeah. Um, so he did a joke on Halloween night on his show in America. And then people thought, hang on, we've heard that before, and this is the mashup. Because if someone puts up a poster in a town square that says, guitar lessons available, that's like going into a town square, seeing a big notice board, and there's a notice, guitar lessons. Like, you don't get people in the town go, I don't want to play the guitar! <laughs> and you go, but I don't want guitar lessons. <laughs> well, then that sign was 
wasn't for you. It was for somebody else. You don't have to get mad about all of it. Fine. It's not for you, then. Just walk away. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> My theory, there's a secret omelette lover in the, in the writing team at the yeah, Corbin yes. Show yeah. who's basically slipped in one there, yeah. right? Um, Absolutely. But let's not talk about that. Let's, it's just a bit of fun, really. Um, I want to talk about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. We're all on Twitter, yeah. right? Yeah. And today he's announced that it's going to be $8 a month mm -hmm. to have your blue tick, about £7, to have your blue tick. And with that, you get a few benefits on top, ability to edit tweets and so on. Would you pay it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think you would, I think wouldn't you? It makes sense as a business model as well, because then, you know, the site isn't beholden to just advertisers saying, we're going to boycott you because you haven't deplatformed this person. Mm. Yeah. Or it, does, it takes the power out of the advertisers and put it, puts it back into the user's hands, because only 1% of Twitter actually has over 1,000 followers, right. and even a fraction of that have blue ticks. Yeah. He also thinks so it will get rid of a lot of the bots and stuff, because people will want to pay this or want to be part of the blue exactly. tick thing. And by doing that, you have to identify exactly, exactly. who you are and everything yeah. else. Yeah, and that's important to be able to be challenged because mm. surely that's what Twitter's all about. Mm. Yeah. You want your voice to be heard, but also you have to have the right to be challenged. Um, exactly. And I think I think that's what's really important about this. And actually, I think that's probably a good thing. I, I mean, Elon Musk, you see, my thing about him is he's an absolute creative whirlwind genius. Absolutely. I think that goes without saying. Already, he seems to be getting under the bonnet of Twitter yeah. and working out how to, A, make it a functional, better functioning uh, platform, but also to make a lot of money out of it, which yeah. is yeah. what he's brilliant at doing. And I've got no problem with that, because the bedrock of what he wants to do is to restore what he calls a more balanced conversation yeah. and yeah. allowing people with different views. I mean, we know that mainly conservative views yeah, are the offensive. ones that have been suppressed, right? Absolutely. And I, I think this is the thing... Sorry, I, this how, is sorry. How, do we, how do we know that? Well, because actually... They're the ones that are mostly getting banned. You, you actually don't see many <laughs> on the left them. get banned. And exactly. actually, I see some on the left do unspeakably nasty stuff on Twitter yeah. and they get away with it because they're on the left. And I'm not one... Oh, I don't call for censorship on, because I don't really please. care for that. Really? I, I, don't, I don't think it should be a playground where it's supposed to be tit for tat. I think these platforms should be exactly that, platforms. You should mm. have... Everyone should have a voice. You shouldn't disproportionately favour one or the other because if that at that point, you're not a platform, you're a publisher. And, and I would and totally I think that's agree what, with that's, that. That's what I, I'm really happy about. And I love the fact that Elon Musk has annoyed so many people. They're all like, we're leaving Twitter. And I'm I'll like, tell you what I'm happy who about. are you? <laughs> I, I'd lost a lot of followers in the last few months and then... They've all come surging back since exactly. Elon Musk bought Twitter. I don't know why. Yeah. Probably a coincidence. Or maybe the Twitter wokies have been stopped doing what they were doing to anyone whose views they don't like, like exactly. people attacking their vegan sausage rolls. But I'm currently on 7,999,104 followers, which means tonight the big 8 million is coming in. I'm going to wake up to a big 8 million, and there's going to be an 8 million party on in this show tomorrow. What do you uh, think of that? Uh, how, many it, of you, how many followers that, have you killed? I think that, that was just an invite. Yeah, saying, about right? Everyone that, heard that. Yeah, how many, heard how that. many followers have you both got? About eight million. About, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many? About eight, eight million. and a half. Yeah. Eight and a half yeah, no, how million. many have you got? Yeah. I'm going to check before, if you don't want to study. No, no, I have about 8 million, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm about yeah. 1,300. 1,300? 1,300? I, well, I think so, yeah. yeah. I want to alarm you. I, I don't need to check my ego well, you're 57,000. You're no, 1,300. No, no, I'm 8 million. You're missing half of my family members. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Do you think Twitter is ultimately a force for good or bad? Are we all being sent completely nuts by it? Are we too addicted um, to it? I we're think, far too addicted by yeah. it. Yeah. I think far, I am. We're far, far too addicted by it. We're far... Our, our egos are, are simply left to run wild. Mm. Yeah. And that is the problem with Twitter. Mm. And I, on, on a serious note, I hope Elon Musk can 
rein it in slightly. And mm. I think he can, because I'm not sure that Donald Trump's going to last very long. I don't think he'll even go back on Twitter. I don't think it serves his purpose anymore. Oh, of um, course he will. He's a narcissist. I, I He's a narcissist. Do you think so? he I mean, there's, there's, I don't see the incentive behind it, but I, I think I don't think Twitter is a force for good as it as it currently is, because I don't think most people trust it. Like they don't trust. Can we talk about a force for evil, which is the stop the oil cretins? who've been oh, yeah. up doing their thing. They, they actually attacked our building, New UK, with their paint. They've attacked Downing Street today. They are the biggest toddlers in world protesting history. And I keep saying this, and they don't want to hear it, none of us are actually being moved to follow their cause by this pathetic behaviour. And the police should be doing more to stop them. Piers, what was the purpose... We've of run you? out of time, Paul. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's it from me. What are you up to? Keep it uncensored. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.